Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics, news and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Katie Winton. And I'm Tanya Ali. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. So we've been away for two weeks on a little break. Uh, Tanya, you were working on FBI's 15th birthday last weekend and doing a whole lot of other things the weekend before. Well, the weekend before, (laughs) in an example of completely perfect timing, I got super sick with a sinus infection. But thanks to some solid antibiotics and cold (laughs) and flu medicine, I was back in business in time for FBI Turns 15 last Saturday. And I honestly feel like I'm still glowing from it. It was so, so much fun, Katie. Um, And we'll we'll play an artist later on in the show who absolutely killed it on the day. But I got to say, I missed you there. You've been very, very busy over the the last few weeks. Yeah, I've been working on LiveWorks Festival of Experimental Art and I was uh, producing a residency program as part of the festival where Performance Space took eight artists to Bundanon Trust, which is just uh, about three hours south of Sydney. And it was the best. And I learned so much from such an incredible group of artists who were like very generous um, with learning from each other. And I feel super lucky to have been around them all. I also feel like during the time I was away, which was 10 days, there's been so much new music that's come out. Uh, one of the artists who was on the residency is Jermaine Dean, who is part of Fanospa, um, who just released a mixtape featuring nine incredible Auckland-based artists. And we'll play a track from that a little bit later on in the show. But I want to talk about uh, the episode of All the Best that was early this morning uh, before Backchat, which also featured Ariana Grande. Uh, if you are an Ariana fan, uh, you should definitely listen back to that episode of All the Best. You can jump onto fbiradio.com forward slash programs to listen back or find it on your favourite podcast app early next week. But it is it is such a gem. You might be hearing it a little bit later. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you may, you may not. Um, we might play it on repeat. No. Okay, so Agenda family member Isabel Hawthorpe and actually sent me a link to a talk, and this is related to this, I'm going to get to it, um, <laughs> by writer and poet Simone White about the concept of the erotic about six months ago. And the talk was part of a research project which looks at and challenges um, decolonial intersectional feminist practices and politics. Um, and the talk is titled Erotic Power, Erotic Punishment, and it names dangers, violations and punishments uh, faced by women who seek and know freedom today. And Simone White talks about poet and writer and activist Audre Lorde's 1978 essay uses the uses of the erotic, which defines the power of the erotic and names the process uh, by which women have been stripped of this power and considers how women can reclaim it. And it's definitely a bit dated and very gender essentialist in, like to read it now. Um, and it also kind of romanticises this like feminine energy that I don't mm. think I completely agree with or just have complicated feelings about. Um, But it has made me think a lot about the importance of pop music in the context of the erotic because Simone White was actually the person who sparked my love affair with the rapper Baby Mother. Um, She references Baby Mother's music a lot and how rap music for her is part of this complexity with which we feel pleasure and joy in relation to the erotic. I I think we talk about this a lot on Agenda, right? What music does to us and like how... I guess it has such a huge impact and it's really, really important. And such an emotional um, and physical 
response. Totally. Uh, yeah, for me, it's very tied into this concept of the erotic. Um, and eroticism is not necessarily sexual, but as this kind of like deep well of um, emotion. <laughs> um, and I feel like in terms of pop music, it's also related to me for um, sex positive feminism, which is probably another whole show that we could go into yes. another time. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm very, very excited. So many thoughts on it. But now that we're living in erotic <laughs> enlightenment, can we talk about the importance of Ariana Grande's Sorry. new breakup song? Really well on a bit of a tangent about the erotic <laughs> there. Um, yeah, so many feelings about this. I'd also like to, t- <laughs> oh my God, just take a moment to talk about how I didn't listen to the lyrics properly and I thought it was Ariana's breakup song and her coming out song. <laughs> um, because at the end she sings about herself in third person and she goes through, <laughs> like, oh God, she goes through all of these past boyfriends in the song and then it switches and she talks about how she's met someone else and the pronouns switch to she and of course, like listening back now, she says, I met someone else, her name is Ari, but I like, I don't know why I didn't listen to that part or I just didn't associate Ari with being Ariana. Like, yeah. I don't know. I Yeah. Sometimes you hear things and you don't really well, definitely. listen and even, properly. I guess the, like... <laughs> As queer people, yeah, you're the like- excitement of hearing pronouns <laughs> yeah. that are not heteronormative are like, oh my God, finally, cool. Oh, you just, or, or you like listen for, maybe I was just listening for that. Yeah, you I project like, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. cool. Like she's, she's announcing her queerness because she then goes on to sing like, she taught me love, she taught me patience and how she handles pain. That shit's amazing. And I was like, that's so cute. Like, <laughs> I was like, why is no one talking about how Ariana Grande's queer? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so um, it actually turns out she's talking about herself in third person, yeah. which is like super naff. Like, come on, Ariana, talk about Yeah, <laughs> it is a little bit. I mean, this song came out very, very soon after this whole breakup thing. So mm. I feel like it was just, it's almost a bit of a diary entry for her, don't you reckon? Like, Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. It's such a diary entry, which I mean, is like very great. bold too, though. I, I Like, even though it is, <laughs> even though she's talking about herself in third person, <laughs> I'm super into the, like, self-love kind of um, implication of the end of the song. 100%. And also just as, like, this... She's very young. She's super in the spotlight, has been in, like, multiple ways. And and this breakup, obviously, because it wasn't just a breakup. It was, like, the end of an engagement. Like, that's a big deal. And celebrity culture, all that. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, it is hugely bold and brave for her to just come out with this banger. Um, And, yeah, she also performed the song on Ellen the other day, which we both loved. This is just (laughs) the best. She performs it on Ellen. Um... To, and there, there are so many parts of that performance that I'm so into. She trips mid-performance and says, oh, my God, and then, like, <laughs> kind <So> of... <laughs> and she picks it back up. Um, <laughs> and then also, uh, like, the reference to First Wives Club. Um, they're all in white. They're doing this, like, synchronised dance. This I'm so into synchronised oh, dancing. I never, love it. Never fails to impress, honestly. <laughs> um, and then she dances at the end of the performance. She dances off stage and she, like, dances up into the audience. And Ellen's like... <laughs> Where are you going? Like, <laughs> and then she has to come back. And and they have this whole dialogue at the end about how she was meant to actually stay on the stage and not dance off. And I kind of was watching it and I was like, how many rehearsals did you do totally. for the, you know, like, how did you not get this? She's like, she's been in the music industry for yeah. ages. She's done so many TV performances. But I just feel like she's having a moment right now. And, and we're lucky to be a part oh, of it. I love it. I love everything about how she comes back. And she just totally um, kind of ignores the fact that that's that she 
fucked it up a little bit as well. Like yeah. she kind of comes back and Ellen's like, oh, why did you go yeah. off stage? And she's just like, oh, I thought that's what we were meant to do. Like, you know, like <laughs> she's just very, it's very honest and raw and I I love it. I love it so much. It is truly so good. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and soon we're going to be hearing from our Auckland-based Agenda family member, Natasha Matilla-Smith, with her segment Rough Idea. But first, let's take a listen to this song that we've been talking about for the past <laughs> yeah. 10 minutes. We've spent the whole show talking <laughs> about. Is, thank you, next by Ariana Grande. <laughs> on FBI Radio. Language warning.
Genesis for you there on Agenda. That one is called Miami and it's maybe your favourite cut from the album, Katie. (laughs) I think it's my favourite song from her new album. Um, I just feel like it's going to be my... Well, I... What's another word for anthem? Because I feel like summer anthem is such a like cliched thing to say, but I, I really feel like listening to that song, I will play it a lot over the yeah, next few months. Yeah, it's going to be on repeat yeah. a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get that. It is a very summer vibe, very yeah. carefree. I'm into it. She's living her best life. She truly is. And also, her album is incredible. Oh. It came out yesterday. It's self-titled. Um such a good release like it's got all your favorite Tommy Genesis tunes from from the past year or so yeah maybe? but also some like like real wildcard acoustic totally. kind of like yeah just like, like little ballads, ballads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I was very surprised the lyrics are so relatable on all <laughs> levels like there's this one song I think um in, and it starts off being like um, I really like this boy. He's full of shit. And I was like, whoa, Tommy, you get it. <laughs> oh, look, I yeah, she does get it. I also had a bit of a moment this week where I was reading an interview with Charlie XEX, who was recently in the country. I think she's just left. Yeah, she did um, a, an interview with Darren uh, on She did. Arvo's it was incredible. Here. You should definitely Wild. listen back to it. Jump onto FBIRadio.com. It's on the homepage because it's maybe the biggest interview <laughs> we've ever done. And Darren absolutely killed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I caught her at the Metro Theatre, I think, a couple of weeks ago now. Um Honestly, one of the best performers I've ever seen. Like I and and I don't say that lightly. Like I kind of came away from the concert being like, I feel like that was maybe the best gig I've ever been to. But then oh. I was like, that that seems extreme. Even better than Solange. Um, on Tough maybe call. on a similar level. But I guess it was seeing her like such a huge pop star at a venue like the Metro, which was super intimate. The crowd was, like, lovely. Actually, yeah, I feel like it was on a similar level um, to my enjoyment of Solange. Right. But, yeah, so, different so different. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then 
like I was reading an interview with her uh, and Charlie has collaborated with Tommy Genesis. There's a track on the album called 100 Bad, which oh, is a remix is with Charlie and it is such a good song. Killer. Um, also very relatable. <laughs> well, 100%. <laughs> um, so I found out that Charlie is half Gujarati um, and Tommy Genesis is also half Indian and that's why Charlie was talking about it, just saying how awesome it was to collaborate with her and like they had these similar kind of like life identities but one is American and one is British, obviously. Like, and I didn't know what it was but finding out that Charlie XEX is South Asian just like made me feel so much. Like, I... It's just, and it's kind of a thing where, because I, I posted about it on Instagram and I got a lot of replies being like, does she hide it? Like, like I feel like no one knows this. Um, and I was really surprised to find it out too because I, I'm a big Charlie fan and I had absolutely no idea. But I don't think she hides it. And I guess it's that thing of like being, being white passing in a way um, where it's not necessarily hiding it. And I think she's quite proud of her identity, but it's just like such... Uh, a thing that she doesn't necessarily need to talk yeah. about all the time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about um, having to self-identify or, like, the way that you identify yourself and and kind of putting that before being a... Mu- or not putting it before, but, like, yeah, kind of how people um, do or don't need to identify themselves. Yeah, and I don't think that takes away from, like, the enormousness of of representation mm. and, like what it is to to know that someone like that, you know, is is a person of colour as well and it's just, like, killing it on all fronts. And that's and it made so much sense because at her um, Metro gig, she kind of took, took time to pause and talk about how um, important the LGBTIQ plus community has been for her and, like, how, how important she sees diversity um, and... And I think, like, because I don't know that she identifies as queer, but putting, like, those comments in context of of her as, like, not just a cis white woman kind of, like, I don't know, it was really nice. Yeah, she's just, she's great. I love Charlie. Um, <laughs> listen to her interview with Darren. It was killer. I actually haven't listened yet, so. Oh, Katie, I've, you got it. I've, yeah, I'm in for a treat. Yes, you definitely <laughs> are. But, um... We are going to hear now from our Auckland-based Agenda family member, Natasha Matilla-Smith, with her segment, Rough Idea, which explores arts practices and practitioners in New Zealand. Yeah, this week, Natasha spoke to Lana Lopesi, who is the author, critic and editor-in-chief of The Pantograph Punch. Um, And Lana recently released her book, False Divides, which looks at the divisions and unifications created by colonialism, technologies and the adaptability of Moana peoples across the Pacific. Let's take a listen to it now. Uh, my name's Lana. I am editor-in-chief at the Panagraph Punch, um, which is an arts journal um, based in Auckland, New Zealand, and also a freelance arts writer, mum, currently a master's student. So you've recently released a book called False Divides. Can you kind of give a brief overview of that book? Yeah. Um, So False Divides looks at the ways in which the ocean has been broken up, um, the Pacific Ocean, and the reasons for those divisions across the ocean. And what it really argues for is a way to um, be able to reconnect with each other and looks at how the internet is playing a role in that for Pacific people today. Right. So in... How, in your book, in the first chapter, or the introduction rather, you talk about like Moana and Oceania and 
and the tone specific. Can you kind of um, expand on that? Yeah, um, there were a few choices when writing the book around um, language and concepts that um, I had to deal with, sort of working out really early on what kinds of political things I wanted to align myself with. And one of the big conversations that we've been having here in New Zealand, as well as in other parts of the Pacific Ocean, is really interrogating that term Pacific. Um, and a few earlier scholars, they, um, Albert Went and Apili Hawafa, they really championed this term Oceania because they saw that it was bringing together the whole ocean rather than focusing on the separateness of the islands. Um, and since then, there's kind of been more recent developments, specifically um, Ufanga Okusi Mahina and Kolokesa Mahina Tuai, as well as Tevita Kaili, who have been pushing for this term Moana, which encapsulates the same idea as wholeness of wholeness as Oceania, but it uses sort of general shared term from across the region. Um, so in that sense, it's sort of a, a way of categorising ourselves that is self-determined rather than um, what was given to us sort of through those colonial movements, such as the Pacific. So in relation to the book, I felt like it was the most appropriate term to use. So do you use it personally? I do, but I'm also aware that it's something that I can use in New Zealand and people understand mm. with what that is and, and who it is. And in other parts of the world, we're not there yet. Um, yeah. So it's sort of, I would love to for it to be the only term that I can use, but I, I just don't think we have that common understanding. So Moana, sorry, what's the full term for like from New Zealand? Uh, uh, Aotearoa. Te Moana Nui Akiwa. And that means the Pacific? It means ocean? The, the Great Ocean of Kiwa. So there's a few different variations across across each of the islands, but generally it, it's all about sort of the Great Ocean. And it's also firmly rooted in various islands' mythologies as well. Mm -hmm. So it kind of changes the whole like way of thinking about the sea, which is refreshing. So what does Oceania mean then? I think it refers to the same thing, except the way I think about different theories and different people is that we all kind of exist in genealogies, and I think the same can be said for scholarship. You know, I didn't come up with all of these ideas in the book out of my own head. It's because of all of these other people before me and the people before them who have been able to like build on these concepts. So I think it was, the way that I read it is it's the same thing, but if you're going to look at Oceania versus Pacific, they're still not Moana words. Mm -hmm. So it still kind of has that same problem. Do you want to talk a little bit about, yeah, this concept of pre-colonial? Yeah, so I guess to do that, I might just take you through the chapters of the book quickly. So the book is called False Divides, so for starters I'm identifying that the ways in which the ocean is divided is false in terms of how we once understood ourselves. But so to get to the point of realising why that matters, you have to understand why the divides are even there in the mm -hmm. first place. So the way that I structured the book is that um, the first chapter looks at this concept of Oceania and sort of what this part of the world may have looked like pre-colonisation and then it moves on to the colonial period so the sort of establishing of the divides 
one scholar called it arbitrary borders, which I really like, the ways in which the ocean was just sort of cut and sliced according to what resources colonial powers wanted to take from the various land masses. Mm. And then the next chapter looks at actually decolonization and that process. And for me, this was a really interesting thing to work out because we talk about decolonization in New Zealand a lot as being a state of mind. But in the book, it was about literal decolonization and what happens when colonial powers leave lands. And what the book sort of suggests is that in that process, these national borders were actually reinforced because of the process of colonization that was sort of overseen by the UN. And so that kind of throws this banner in the work a little bit. And then where it goes to from there is, first it looks at the ways in which Pacific people have then spread out across the world. So the fact that, you know, where us two are sitting here today mm. in New Zealand, the formation of diaspora communities across the world, and then how air travel and, you know, early telecommunications like the phone enabled people to reconnect with homelands. Yeah. And then I think where my sort of research comes in is then adding the internet onto this, this extra layer of uh, super accelerated and somewhat easily accessible technology and how that's kind of speeding everything up. And then the book ends really in this really contradictory space, which is both a wanting to go back to a pre-colonial way of understanding each other, but then using these technologies that are born out of you know Silicon Valley, multi-billion dollar capitalist corporations to do that. Yeah, There are a few things is that the work that I see around me and the work I think it was done by the generation before me was really romantic mm. and I hold on to the romanticism clearly because I love this concept of Oceania right. but I also want us to start looking at ourselves within the complexities of what it means to be who we are today you know the fact that I'm wearing Adidas slides and I have my jeans are fast fashion you know that makes me implicit in systems and it's just kind of being really honest about that and I think the internet is one of those things that we we quite often distance from ourselves but I use it almost like all the time I'm just kind of really excited to be able to admit that we're like messy and complicated and contradictory and like that's okay but maybe we should think about it a bit harder yeah there's not a lot of contemporary takes on this kind of topic so a lot of the young people that are trying to reconnect are looking to those romantic texts and not thinking about them critically they just kind of take them at face value it's kind of worrying in a way but I think as well I'm allowed to write this now because I feel like those romantic texts exist I do feel like because those things exist, Mm. we are now allowed to make the thing a bit messy. And there are so many amazing Pacific scholars around the world as well that are doing lots of great work. So I think because of that mass, it means that we all have a bit more freedom to sort of do the work that we want to do. I think we're also just so many generations of movement. You know, there's a really big Pacific population in Australia now, and a lot of them have come through New Zealand So that kind of symbolises two migratory shifts. And that Pacific community in Australia, because a lot of the entrance is from New Zealand, they're actually statistically invisible. Mm. Like Pacific as a population in Australian census data is next to nothing. But we know that the populations are large, so... 
In those communities, like the Australian Pacific, they are quite specifically Australian as well. Yeah. I didn't know until I met Chantal Fraser that they were, like, proud Australian. Yeah. So it's really interesting seeing their perspective. They're almost, like, resentful towards, like, New Zealand Pacific as if they are the only voice that gets represented. Exactly. I mean, I just think there's enough room for everyone now. And also, it's impossible to speak for everyone's experiences too because of that, because their experiences are so varied. But I think we often forget that in the work that we do, and we're also always kind of swept in. Well, I know that I'm always swept in to be like a mouthpiece for all Pacifica and the whole entire world. And yeah, we just need to acknowledge our limitations a little bit, I think.
listening to Agenda on FBI Radio and you just heard Neo with Make It Out Alive. Um, and we've been hearing this morning from Natasha Natilla-Smith's uh, Rough Idea segment, Exploring Arts Practices and Practitioners in New Zealand. Um, and in a moment, we'll take a listen to the rest of Natasha's conversation with writer Lana Lopesi. Uh, we did get a couple of texts in on 0409 um, because we were talking about how this week I found out that Charlie XCX is half Indian. Um, and someone texted in saying, passing for white can be a bit like by invisibility. It has positive and negative elements, which I I definitely feel like, of course, there's a huge privilege in being able to pass as white. And like as a, um, I'm Pakistani, but I have definitely because of my whitewashed upbringing and I guess like wanting to be white for so long, I've like had the privilege of passing as white in heaps of circumstances. Um, and it is absolutely a privilege. It just means that you like avoid a lot of, um, you know, kind of on the street racism or whatever. But but it also absolutely has its, has its um, downfalls. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that in terms of by invisibility totally um uh but just quickly going back a little bit can we talk about Nao's album for a second yes yes you have (laughs) been hearing it all this week as album of the week here at fbi radio um and to be honest it's a very agenda relevant record yes yeah um (laughs) (laughs) let's just take a moment to think about that (laughs) think about that um no so the album's called saturn and it's based on the astrological concept of saturn return and basically saturn return hits you in your late 20s when the planet saturn comes back to meet the same spot it was at um when you were born and as the astrologer and our favorite astrologer shani nicholas um explained earlier this year the saturn return is a time when we aren't so innocent we're unformed or new anymore um it's a time when if we're lucky we realize that no one is going to save us and it wouldn't feel right if they tried Wow. Which I just feel like it's very apt. Yeah. Do you feel like you've experienced Saturn <laughs> returns, Katie? This is a trick question. Well, okay, so this is the tricky thing is that I've, I actually um, have used a Saturn return calculator Whoa. Uh, that my friend Athena Thebus sent me. Um, and it, my Saturn returns calculator says that I'm not going to hit it until 31, oh. which is, I feel like I've had it this year. So I'm kind of terrified for when it actually hits because... I feel like Saturn Returns is happening for me right now. Yeah, I mean, it. I was reading a little bit about it and it says that, like it starts, yeah, somewhere around your late 20s or early 30s, mm. but it does continue for a few years. Yeah, well, potentially it's it's a few years of Saturn Returns. So <laughs> That's, I can't wait. Although, I, yeah, I feel as though, I've had this conversation <laughs> with a few people and I feel as though Saturn Returns, um, the best way that I can describe it is everything shifting um, outside of like everything in the world shifting yeah Yeah. external things shifting but um your internal compass being quite grounded and balanced which is how i feel anyway so that's you know that's really that's i guess like difficult but positive yeah totally and then like i guess facilitates a lot of personal growth um if you're if you're feeling yeah i think feeling grounded amongst chaos around you is kind of lovely (laughs) in a way (laughs) I feel like we've just entered into like a therapy session. 
fashion. Um, so, uh, well, I can't wait for my Saturn returns. It sounds like it'll be a hoot. You are listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're halfway through this week's Rough Idea, a segment hosted by Natasha Matilla-Smith, which explores arts practices and practitioners in New Zealand. This week, Natasha chatted to writer Lana Lopez about her book, False Divides, as well as The Communite, an upcoming exhibition at the Institute of Modern Art in Brisbane that Lana has co-curated. Let's take a listen to the rest of their chat. I am interested in in the first part of your book, you were talking about going to Taiwan and then seeing the people there. They look really similar to how Pacific people look over here. Yeah, well, that was kind of a whole impetus of what I've been thinking about for the last two years really so I guess for me I always thought of Taiwan as home I always thought of it as this ancestral homeland um, given sort of the ways in which DNA you know a lot of celebrity Samoan people having their DNA tested and it always goes back to Taiwan and we also know from like many anthropological studies now that it's not just DNA, but there are also linguistic connections and um, various technologies and art forms that link us. And food. Yeah, exactly. That link us there. So I took all of that to heart, I think, like in quite a romantic sense. And I really felt excited to like find these discoveries. The other thing is that I was living in Taipei. And it was like, it's their big city too, so all there were was remnants of their Dutch, Japanese and Chinese colonial histories. But I mean, you know, like their indigenous population is the same size as our Māori population, except that their general population is so large that it comes out at only 2%, whereas here it's 20 Right. So it was just kind of, I guess, that shift as well in demographic. But then we spent a bit of time on the south of Taiwan, which is where the largest indigenous community lives today and non-coincidentally was the last place that Taiwan was colonised. And that's sort of the anecdote that I opened the book with was when me and my partner landed and we just saw someone that looked like us and it was such like a weird, exciting experience being in a place where you're so other. Mm and like so visibly and like where people stare at you like all the time because you're so clearly an other but you're not a white other so like culturally ambiguous and I think in quite a confusing way so then going to somewhere where you saw people that looked like you it was just that kind of like visceral experience right and then I spoke at an indigenous design conference and before that we had had that same experience of feeling like really welcome and then just speaking and realising it was falling so flat. Yeah. I guess because I don't speak Chinese, I exist in a literary canon which is English. You know, our decolonial narratives are shared with us, Australia, North America and the UK. And that is really the limits of my knowledge. I had never really been confronted with it so directly until I was seeing what I thought were really well-known theories and concepts and things that we talk about so naturally here. Yeah just like not landing with people who I know want to know that stuff right and also I was then suddenly wondering you know what are the concepts that they're talking about that I could never access and it was just I just realized that I existed inside of 
a knowledge canon that was an English one. And that was kind of scary, realizing how much the colonization of New Zealand and me growing up in New Zealand influenced everything that I knew. Mm -hmm. So you'll show the commute at the Institute of Modern Art in Brisbane. Was that a more different experience of Indigenous knowledge yet again? So there's five curators um, and eight artists, all who um, belong to a global Indigenous community with very different experiences. And I think in the first instance, it was the curators working out how to work together and sort of also each of our own cultural contexts. And so we kind of came up with this framework of commuting, um, which talked to the idea of commuting to and from homelands for work. So kind of, I guess, you know, a lot of people talking about voyaging at the moment or navigation. I think we felt as though commuting was like the 2018 version (laughs) of those journeys. A lot of the people in the show were from North America commuting down and I was commuting from Auckland to Brisbane. Um, One of the artists, Ahi, has been living in London. So like that commute, it just kind of put travel at the forefront, but in a way that just seemed real to how it is today. Yeah. It also, you know, the framework became about this journeying to work with each other. It then meant that there was no parameters for the work itself because us being together was the parameter. So what that meant curatorially was that I was able to go to Chantal Fraser and Ahilapalapa and just say, what are you interested in working on and what do you need mm-hmm. and how can I help you? And I think that way it, was, it kind of changed the model of the exhibition as well where it was also long-term investment. It was kind of like, what are the ideas that you've never been able to do before? And part of that was the curator to artist ratio. So like, it's kind of crazy to have five curators and eight artists, but it meant that everyone was well supported. And then also it just meant that there was like a lot of space in the show for everyone. So it was a lot of exchange, I think. Mm -hmm. A lot of cultural exchange in sort of like non-formal ways too, which just felt a lot more generous. And there was this moment before the opening but there was just a lot of gift exchange going on. So, like, I had made lolly lays and Ahi had made a kind of Hawaiian ribbon lay and we had been making them together in our Airbnb and then gifted them to people. But it turns out that, like, almost half of the people involved also had other things to gift. And I just kind of felt like that sort of sense of generosity and appreciation was kind of, like, underpinned the whole show. And mm. I almost feel like the art didn't matter even though everyone, right. you know, everyone's an artist and a curator and wanted to put on a really good show, but we were more concerned with our relationships working with each other. And then I think that just kind of made a more fruitful exercise, for me anyway.
Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Heads up, this one has a language warning. Without me, you'd be nothing so. I hate this bitch. Uh. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Who is you? Fuck it, I hate this bitch. 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 Fuck it, I hate this b
bitch, I'm back again. Battle school all you bros, so I'm the reigning champ. I took two months off for you to praise your man. Well, I got options to expose your man. I've been looking at this boy like, hey man, you hating on me, but your friends are all fans, man. Got you nervous, got you sucking up on sweatbands. I walk right, got you walking to the left, man. It's funny how your friends fighting your battles. Bunch of dick riders and you was wearing the saddle. You were to watch the crown up in the queen, bitch. Even my dentist said I need a crown, bitch. Call me fat, cause my money is precious. I ain't call you out yet, but you are my checkers. Called you twice, like you ain't get the message. When you done talking shit, I teach you valuable lessons. Bitch. Without me, you'd be nothing. So, so I hate this bitch. Uh, fuck it, I hate this bitch. Yeah. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Okay. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Bye, bitch. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Who is you? Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Girl. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Uh. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. So I hate this bitch. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. Fuck it, I hate this bitch. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. And just there, an Agenda favourite. Um, this week she actually curated the Brisbane 1999 party alongside Charlie XCX and Benoffi. That was Miss Blanks with her brand new single, This Bitch. So good. Yeah, and she performed it at FBI 10's 15. Uh, yeah, she closed with it. I, I am still... <laughs> absolutely reeling from particularly Miss Blanks' set because um, it was the first set that I got to see when I wasn't like fully working. I was a little bit off the clock and um, I was just front row dancing up the storm. Miss Blanks is such a great performer um, and like more broadly, I think we've talked a little bit about the lineup for FBI Turns 15 on Agenda. It was super, super great. And the festival poster was actually the most liked post to date of Instagram account <laughs> lineups without me. Very mails. important. Sorry, just gonna, just gonna <laughs> brag on it a little bit. Um, so, uh, I think the lineup for FBI Tense 15 was made up of something like 77% um, female, trans, and gender non-conforming artists, and actually experiencing that in the flesh, as opposed to like just looking at it on a poster, is great. Mm. But like being there, I don't think I saw a single act that was like white cis males, like or all white cis males. Um, and Miss Blanks in particular, just like ugh, she just encapsulates. Everything that's great about the Australian music <laughs> scene right now, I feel like, yeah, she she blew me away. Um, and she wrote a little bit about this bitch on Facebook, right? Yeah, so she, uh, like, when she released the track, um, she also released a statement that says, this bitch is reclaiming a term traditionally used against women and femmes turned 180 upon the men who subjugate gaslight and change narratives for their own self-serving purposes. Um, so society expects us to be women and femmes perfect. Uh, put on our best faces consistently, be the better person. And this bitch is about the pure pettiness that we deserve the right to have, which is <laughs> so yes. good. Um, and the song is a combination of what my aftercare has come to look like within the parameters of the music landscape and artistic output, as well as the duality of uh, 
of and who I am. And this is an important track, most probably some of my best work. I hope you enjoy the track video coming soon. I'm very excited about the video. Oh, me too. And I'm excited for like maybe an EP or something coming from Miss Blanks at some point. I just, I just want <laughs> you heard more it here from that. Tanya yeah. first. I'm really excited about her EP. Yeah, that, she's yeah, that she uh, may or may not be releasing or planning to. I don't know, but fingers crossed. Um, she is just so great. Anyway, that does bring us to the end of <laughs> agenda for this week. It is so good to be back. Um, you can listen back to the show or check out what we played for you at fbiradio.com forward slash programs. Just click through to the agenda program page and do stick around for weekend lunch after this next track from Finale Spa. This is Set Things Clear and it has a language warning. See you next week. I'm with my full stunners, gang gang wahala, eh? Like I don't need Kakala, I'm with my full stunners, gang gang wahala, eh? Sitting up a bifter with a coconut surprise, peep my rise, quantified, cause I'm using all my eyes, skipping all the trippy drama, ripping up your Valentine's. Peep my wide open sesame, you can't afford the price, I'm the prize horse. All the jockeys wanna ride, wanna bite all my styles, wanna write all my rhymes. But you cannot duplicate a brain for peanuts I know it's complicated, me so go suck these nuts I secure the pack, you will never get this much Money smelling, press the booty of a breeze clutch Every god favor me, go ask Jesus All my ass and asses know the banks will never seize us I'ma play with your ego like a little lazy toy Waving hope in front of your eyes as a decoy Your intentions under my control, you're on my chessboard I'm infinity powered up, you pathetic basic boy This voice in infection, your eyes in deception, reality corrected by all my inception. Your fears, my invention, creations. I'm a motherfucking time wizard, bitch. 13 and I'm win. Let me bite you. Let my love hypnotize you. Listen to my flow. Listen to my chance. Gonna smite you. Kill you. I'll open up your mind and steal you. Resist them, consume you. Regrets will only feel. I'm the pussy. I'm the cunt. I'm everything you want. I'm the dark little bitch. I'm the dark little cunt. I'm the pussy. I'm the cunt. I'm everything you want. I'm the dark. Dicky, 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 dicky. Homo honey, my rub, rub my little kitty. Lady, echo kitty, purr cat on the viddy. Cop the cush, yeah, bloody. I'm my hands real sticky. Ew, watch your man, cause he's acting real shifty. If he clocks my tea, yeah, he might act shifty. Calling me, I'm a naki. Say, why we, you're talking to a kashi. Silly country boys know nothing but my naki. From the deuce, hop the deuce, back the fruits in a follow pump to the bad do like Why is shit shine bright like a pebble? They play kale when I dine with the devil. My mouth sealed, beveled edge like a rebel. Bounce your booty in my bubble spirit level. I'm a dark little cunt, but the devil passed the blonde to a dark little from here rebel. I'm out the park, all my pals know I'm an alien. I know you feel the dark scared of niggas, you Australian. Fuck around in my block, see you later I'd rather cuddle with my niggas than the paper They taste the metal in your blood, I will save her Administrating your love, you a faker I gotta set things clear I'm sharing petuousness, impervious to fear I stay with drums, I clear You fear buko on the covers on the ground With your real self, never seen Some beams can't pierce The exterior too fierce I'm sitting on two chairs I'm spinning with no kiss I'm glittering, oh yeah I'm spinning with cokes, invisible
visible close tear I left the yardy chokes on the stairs Put Odie wrapped me up on the wheels I'm fire hose, no liar though I let you know, Mania glow Big Ferraro, here to expose The smashed hologram of a dying rose Like a lonely gagala I'm with my full stunners Gang gang for holla, ayy like a lonely cagala, I'm with my full stunners, gang gang for holla, eh?